Hey, uh, we had this, uh, this prophecy service a couple weeks ago, which is always fun. We just kind of practice hearing uh, the voice of God in real time. And uh, I promised you <clears throat> a testimony or two about that because, you know, the Lord always takes the occasion to show up when we give him space. So I want to invite up John, um, who is, uh, I think, three weeks into his Blue Water experience with us. Just, just a cool, cool guy from Alabama. And uh, you, can t- you don't need this. You've got a good, strong voice, but I'll give you that anyway. And um, just a very brief you know, story about cool stuff that the Holy Spirit does uh, when we gather. Now, when you showed up a few weeks ago, you had been having a rough time. Yeah, I'm sleeping. You, you had insomnia. And what, for like how long had you not uh, been able to sleep? Go ahead and uh, hold uh, it up. I can't. I, 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 you have to do that. I, I got the shakes too bad. There you go. Yeah, I have the shakes, too. Uh, God ain't got rid of the shakes yet, but we're working on it. God is good. No, nothing no better than Jesus. The Holy Spirit. I, I believe in them. Uh, Amen. We, we got we to gotta have the Holy Spirit. We got to have Jesus. We got to have God. All, to me, they're all the same, but the main thing is the Holy Spirit right now because he's the one that's roaming the grounds, <laughs> roaming through this building right here. I just, I'm just going to let John preach because it's way better than, way better than what I had. <laughs> but you, you, had not, you had serious insomnia for how many months? Well, about three, four months. Okay. I don't know exactly. I don't keep up with time no more. Five or six months. Five or six Five months. Or six Vern, months. Vern, Vern happens to be John's neighbor, and it was, yeah, it was I, Vern I, I that live, brought him lives, to church. Yeah, I live upstairs. Yeah, great yeah, apartment she, building. Yeah. And um, what, what had triggered the insomnia? What, what caused it? I think I went and had the shot. Uh, you had a bad reaction to the vaccine, unfortunately. Yeah. One of those few people who had the bad reaction to the vaccine. My arm's all messed up. And, and the I result of that is that you could not sleep, and it was, uh, it was seriously bothering you. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, I was still trusting in Jesus to, take, to give me to sleep, but uh, so, maybe most of it was my problem. Maybe I didn't believe hard enough. I didn't have enough faith. But when you came to the prophecy service, what happened? Somebody prayed for you. Several people prayed for me here. Yeah. And, and, wh- and, and things started happening a little better. Uh-huh. I've been sleeping pretty good for the last ever since I've been coming here. <laughs> Yay! I have to clap for that. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. We went for a party yesterday. and We spent some time right on the road here. But anyway, I, I mentioned the church several times to several different people. Uh, wait, wait. I want to hear about your healing, if you don't yeah. mind. Because as, as enthusiastic <laughs> as you are, somebody, that's, you get carried away. I don't carry it away. It's, it's an occupational hazard, my friend. But somebody came up to you and, and had a word from God. Somebody, God told somebody uh, that you had been suffering from insomnia and that it came from a chemical reaction. Right here she did. We're going to get this story straight in a second. I'm just going to hang with us. I'm sorry. I get carried away. Yes, that's okay. John, you're amazing. So I'm going to tell you my perspective. I saw John sitting at the door when I came in. Uh, You're sitting there being friendly. And I thought, I don't know that person. You know, I just paid note of that. And after the service, I came up to you to say hello. And uh, my my brother-in-law, Tony, who's sitting there in the back, he came up and said, I, God told me something about this guy. And uh, he, so he started to say to, to, to you, 
John, you haven't been able to sleep for like six months and it had something to do with your vaccination. And, and so that's a fairly specific word from the Lord. This person has not slept in six months and it was caused by this nasty chemical reaction. So that's faith building. I just want to point that out. Okay. That's, that's faith building. And that's what we call a God moment when, when stuff like that happens because he forced the interaction to occur, right? And then what happened? You're doing great, and by then, the way. Uh, thank you. And so then I said, is that okay if I pray for you? And you said, praise the Lord. So I, I, I bet he did. <laughs> so I just put my hand on John and just said something like, I don't know, we just tell this insomnia to stop and we just bring health. And that was kind of like, amen. And then, and then what happened? I didn't know until a week afterwards. Uh, and then you felt better. I'm going to give this to Vern, the neighbor. <laughs> Vern, from your perspective, what happened? From my perspective, so, yeah, I've known John for many, many years because um, we've been around this building. And he actually did all the daily, like, resident manager things. So prior to six months ago, John was running up and down three flights of stairs. He was carrying everybody's trash. He was up earlier than everybody else. He was ministering to the homeless people outside Not of our building. Everything like that, right? And then he suddenly went downhill very fast. And so we've been watching him every day going downhill very fast, noticing in conversation, I noticed the coincidence of the timing, but I uh, was just praying. Like I prayed for him a couple times and then John and I would have conversations. So I said, oh, John, good news. We finally got a church location. We're finally going to be able to meet in person because he's been praying for us, for my church to be able to meet in person. And so I told him, and then he yelled down to me one day. He was like, hey, can I go to church with you tomorrow? And I was like, sure, if you want to. And so then he came, and that was Prophecy Sunday, and I was praying that somebody would have a prophetic word for him, that he would get healed for his sleep issues. So I felt like that was a big answer to God, and that also was shaking. And then since then? Since then, he's been sleeping. So I checked in with him this week. He's been sleeping five hours every night. Yeah. Yes. Are you running up and down three flights of stairs again? Are you running up and down three flights of stairs? He's You're walking, walking up and down three flights of stairs. Yes, he went he called the bus by himself this week. He went to that party yesterday, hang out with family all day. He slept really good last night. Yeah. It's been improving every day. It's, it's improving. What, what, what would you like to give him one more praise Jesus? I'm just I'm just inviting you. Praise Jesus. I thought so. I thought so. I thought so. All right. Without Jesus, without Jesus, we ain't doing nothing. All right. We lost. He owns everything, every little detail. He knows every little detail. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Let's All right. Give him a clap. All right. Thank you. You sure you don't want to preach? I'll let you preach. No? You're okay? I All right. So many uh, good things to say. I get that story out. I love that story. It shows up at church first time. Somebody has a prophecy, walks up to him. According to the prophecy, uh, some prayer for healing happens. Uh, I heal this chemical reaction uh, that, that was happening. And uh, now he's up and about again because obviously this is a guy who needs to be up and about. Yeah. I get that impression. Uh, and it's just a little mercy from the Lord that he orchestrated because some people uh, decided to listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit together, right? Because this is what a community of God does. We have a relationship with the Lord, and 
the heart of every relationship is communication. So that's pretty good. Uh, praise God. Uh, thank you to John and to Vern uh, for making it possible. And thanks to you guys for pressing in, you know, and willing to flow with the Spirit when we're together because you never know whom you might bless, right? The person next to you right now may be in dire need of restoration of some sort, and you might actually be the vessel for that today. If you are willing to listen, to step out, to make a move, because that's the reason, you know, to gather, to help one another, to be a blessing to those around you. All right, now we start the preaching. Now, yeah, I like this. Uh, so let's loosen up. I've got a few warm-up questions for you. You can stretch. You get your shoulders loose. You can bend over and touch your toes. And if you can't do that while you're seated, then we'll pray for you after the service. Uh, let's do an attitude check first because faith is, is, uh, is an attitude. It's a, it's a manner of approaching things. So, well, you know why we do worship music? Because it is a, it's an exercise in attitude. Right? So I love uh, that uh, worship set that we had today uh, because I think it was fairly easy to flow in the attitude of praise and, and strength. Is that not true? That's true. Uh, that's what the music is for, uh, by the way. So if you come and they're playing the music and you're sitting there like this, then you have failed the attitude exercise. Uh, by which I mean you have missed an opportunity, right? to choose a constructive, powerful attitude that might result in a miracle before we leave the building. Uh, so don't miss that opportunity. How is your attitude in that regard today? Did you vibe? Did you, were you with it? Were you not with it? With it? Not with it? All right, good. Uh, let's do a, that was an attitude check. Let's do a philosophy check. Philosophy check. Do you want to be great? How many of you want to be great? If you're doing this, you don't want to be great. If you do this, you want to be safe. How many of you want to be great? That's a little better. Some of you still uncertain. Uh, do you, uh, let's put it that way. Do you want to be great or do you want to be safe and secure? Both. Compromise. How many of you want to be great? How many of you want to be safe and secure? You're the ones who won't raise your hand. Uh, but it's often a, a choice like that, right? Because there are lots of reasons in life for you to want to set the bar low. There are lots of reasons in life for you to want to set the bar low, right? It protects you from disappointments and risks and vulnerability and stuff like that. And so we get really good at setting the bar low. Bar low. We have mechanisms for this. One of our mechanisms is excuses. I'm an excuse master. I have a black belt in excuse. Is anybody with me? Yes, I'm great at excuses, you know. Uh, excuses, are, excuses are mostly all the people around you that foul up your life, you know. All those people, you know, those people who, oh, believe the wrong things, are on the wrong side of the divide, you know, those people. Often they're the people who are closest to you because the people who are in your life, maybe live in your own house, they can foul up your life better than anyone else, right? Am I right? Come on, just look at that person right now and say, you're such a great excuse. I love you. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. Uh, excuses can be circumstances as well. How many of you have gone through tough circumstances over the past 18 months or so? You know, great. Um, 
Another uh, way to set the bar low is identity. You know what identity is? Identity is the story that you tell yourself about you. You know, and what we're really good at is taking a challenge and turning it into an identity. You know, uh, this is the season of uh, New Year's resolutions, and a lot of us want to get fit or lose some weight. So here's the difference. Uh, uh, there's, a, there's a difference between needing to lose weight and being a chubby person. Because being a chubby person is an identity. I, I, I'm, it's, just how, it's just how it is. I'm just a chubby person. I'm just, I'm, I'm just not really into exercise. That's just me. You have identified with the situation, as opposed to, well, I would like to be more fit. I have a need. I must respond. I must overcome. How's that going, by the way? All right, we might have to revisit that one. Or, um, you know, there's a difference between procrastinating with respect to something you need to do and being a procrastinator. I'm just, I'm a, I'm just a procrastinator. That's an identity. Or, um, there's a difference between needing resources and just being a poor person. I'm just a poor person. That's just my, it's my identity. That's my class. That's my position. Right? You get the idea? And identity can be huge. It's the story that you tell you about you. And what we do is tell ourselves stories that kind of rationalize away our need to push ourselves. That's what we do. Identity. It feels safe and secure uh, that way. Um, Greatness, though. You want to be great? Because Jesus said that the person who wants to be greatest of all must be the servant of all, right? You have to be really great at blessing the people around you, right? And as many of them as possible, and that's sort of the kingdom definition of greatness. So how's that going? Uh, are you, how many people are you really influencing for good in the world, really influencing well on the earth? How's that going? Trying. We're trying. Yeah. Because I have an unreliable authority that faith is trying. That's right. Is it numeric? How many people? Let's say yes. Let's challenge ourselves. How many people? Um, why not? Um, but if you've only got a few people around you, then influence them deeply. Why hem yourself in? All right, new question with respond to greatness, with respect to greatness. Will you fight for it? If you want to be great, will you fight for it? What are you not willing to do to be great on the earth? What are you, what are you not willing to do? Would you do anything to be great? I mean, if you had a chance to be great, would you respond in public as freely as Cat does? Would you be willing to do that? 35% of you would. 65% not so much. Um, good questions to think about. Here's the process to be great, by the way, if you're wondering. Find some things that you're you know, particularly suited to do and do them with phenomenal intensity and consistency. You can write that down if you want. Find some things, a thing or some things that you're particularly suited to do um, and then do those things with great intensity and consistency. Equals greatness. 
In other words, not hard. Not hard. You know, we have classes and retreats that we do sometimes about, you know, identifying your purpose in life. Not hard. Not hard. What's hard is following through on it. Yeah, that's the, that's the harder bit. But it's not complicated. Here's what I know. If you do that, if you have something in mind that, well, I want to pursue this to get great, and you go for it, you know, you start developing a mindset of trying faith, a fighting faith, and some methods to sort of keep you in the game. If you, if you do it, then all sorts of junk will come against you. You know, Satan will come against you. Sometimes not head on, but he'll attack you from the side and try to distract you with all sorts of crises and urgencies. And what will happen is if you are weak, you will then look for emotional shelter. You will find all sorts of excuses and you will tell yourself all sorts of identity stories that stop you in your tracks, that lead you in a bad way. If you're weak, if you're strong, you will fight back. You will fight back and overcome. Is that a great word? Overcome. And you will do great things on the earth. And I think that's what Paul calls fighting the good fight, the good fight of faith. All sorts of Bible verses about that. Maybe you know some. God loves it when we have fight back faith. Does that make sense? God loves it when we have fighting faith. There's a sort of faith that I think feels like I don't know how to describe it exactly, but it feels like submission and dependence. And then there's a sort of faith that feels like berserker fighting. And God loves that kind of faith. I think especially much. He loves it when we fight our circumstances with faith. He loves it when we fight our poor identity with faith, when we're willing to change the story that we tell ourselves about ourselves. He loves it when we fight that with faith. And when we push to become truly great, when we got kicked out of Eden, God immediately set challenges for us. That was his curative prescription. He said, you, Adam, man, you're going to have to work your tail off to get food from the ground from now on. Eve, you're going to have to do what Adam says because he's going to seem stronger than you now because he was weaker than you in Eden. Uh, And that's going to be a challenge that you're going to have to fight to overcome. Like immediately there were challenges issued. Uh, We've been fighting to free ourselves of those uh, for our existence. I think the Lord has gone out of his way to ensure that life will be difficult. The presence of evil spirits on the earth are an indication of that because the Lord has left them for us to beat up. Um, The Lord, yeah, I'll take that. Um, In fact, the Lord is so committed to us developing fighting faith that sometimes God himself will fight against us. Do you think that's true? This is, this is the part of the sermon where we now shift to a place that twists your mind if you're into systematic theology. But I think God himself will fight against us. And I want to take a look at a story uh, that has to do with that today. But, but suffice it to say that it's important to have a lot of faith. Um, do you know that summary? That, uh, you know Here's a quick summary of the parable of the talents or the parable of bags of gold. Do you know that one? Uh, Jesus tells it. Uh, we have discussed that a lot in, uh, at Blue Water, so I won't go over it right now, but uh, there's a couple versions of the parable that Jesus tells, actually. 
but in the parable, uh, a master gives uh, three servants three different amounts of, of gold. You know, one gets uh, two bags, one five, one ten. It depends on the parable that you read. But they get different amounts. And then the master goes away, and the servants are meant to invest the gold in, in productive pursuits. Uh, so the guy who gets, you know, ten bags of gold, he doubles his money. And the guy who gets like five bags of gold, he doubles his money. But the guy who only got a couple bags of gold, he buries his gold in the ground and doesn't really even try to multiply it. And I think what's happening there is that that guy had an identity. He told himself that he was poor, right? And if you're just a poor person, then you've got no, no way to try to better your position, right? It's who you are. He buried it. He didn't try. He didn't try. And when the master came back, everybody gets rewarded, but the guy who didn't even try uh, gets reprimanded and punished rather severely. You know that parable? Just give me one clap if you do. Uh, and then the punchline of the parable is that, uh, that the interpretation of the parable says, uh, from him who had, to him who has, more will be given. From him who does not have, more will be taken or more will be lost, depending on your translation. The less fight you have, the less try you have, then the less you will have over time. I think what it means is if you're not a fighter, your rate of loss will continue to grow. <laughs> but if you are a fighter, your rate of victory will continue to grow. I think that's what the parable is about. I share that parable, it's a common one, but there are all sorts of lessons in scripture about that. Uh, I think that we should be faith fighters. Or I developed a new term this week, fighting faithers. <laughs> Do you like that? Fighting faithers? Everybody but my wife loves that term, and therefore we will continue to use it in perpetuity at Blue Water Mission. Thank you. I am a genius. No, don't say it. I want to read from the story of Jacob. We discussed him briefly a, a few weeks ago, and I said that I, I wanted to do uh, a discussion about him. We're, we're in a sermon series on weird stories of faith, and this is a very weird, weird story. And what I want to do is just read a selection of the story of Jacob from Genesis 32, verses 22 through 32. And it's a story about Jacob wrestling with God. You know this story? Weird story. Weird story. So you might know if you were here a few weeks ago that uh, Jacob hustles a blessing from his father. And the Lord kind of likes his attitude. And the Lord promises to bless Jacob wherever he goes and very explicitly promises to be with Jacob. And then Jacob goes through all of these adventures and misadventures. We'll talk about those momentarily. And what's happening now is that Jacob is finally returning home from his sojourn abroad where things have gone both poorly and well for him. It's been very, very dramatic. and There's been a lot of struggle involved. But he's going home to see essentially if his family will accept him back after everything that has gone down. And he's particularly scared of his brother Esau, his older brother Esau, who is a large, powerful, fairly violent man. And he's afraid that Esau might try to kill him uh, and so he sent his flocks and his family ahead of him 
uh, to sort of grease the skids, so to speak. And Jacob is alone. The next morning, he's going to go see if Esau will accept him. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok, which is a river. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak, an all-night fight. It's a good fight. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, when the man saw that he could not overcome Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that the hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man, dislocated his hip. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. I guess that was time. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. It's a profound statement. The man asked, what is your name? I think he would have asked that at the beginning of the fight. (laughs) Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome them. Uh, Israel means struggles with God, Israel. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life uh, was spared. It's like face of God or seeing God is what Peniel means. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched uh, near the tendon. So Jacob realizes that he has actually been wrestling with the manifestation of God, that God manifested as a man and wrestled with Jacob all night long. It wasn't a bandit. It was the Lord himself. Uh, He might have got the clue when, like, a touch dislocated his hip, but whatever. He figures it out uh, in in the end. The story of Jacob. Is that a weird story? Um, Jacob was the younger of two sons, a twin. Uh, He wasn't scheduled then to inherit anything from his father. He lies to his father, who has gone blind, disguises himself as Esau, even puts goat skin on his arms to appear as hairy as Esau, and tricks his father into giving him Esau's oldest brother blessing, so that Jacob, legally speaking, is now entitled to inherit all of his father's wealth. But Esau doesn't like that. Jacob flees for his life. On his way out of town, he dreams. He has a vision of God very quite near this place in which... He sees angels coming up and down the ladder. And Jacob wakes up and says, God is in this place. And the Lord eventually speaks to him and says, yes, I am with you. I am with you. And wherever you go, I will be with you. And Jacob says, if you bring me back, you'll be my God forever. If you bring me back to my family's land. He goes and he takes shelter with an uncle named Laban. um, After falling in love with Laban's daughter, Rachel, who was a real hottie, evidently. He says to Laban, he strikes a deal with him. He says, I will work for you for seven years if you give me your daughter Rachel to be my wife. And so he slaves away for seven years. And then they have a big wedding feast. 
only uh, instead of giving Jacob Rachel, uh, he gives uh, Jacob his daughter Leah. They would have been like veiled before going into the marriage tent and stuff, so Jacob was fooled. Leah, not a hottie. <laughs> it says that she has very weak eyes. Maybe she was cross-eyed or blind or something like that. And in that day and age, that would have been a tremendous handicap. And so no one uh, would have necessarily wanted to marry this poor girl. You know, she couldn't help it. And so Jacob freaks out and said, you lied to me. Laban makes some lame excuse about, you know, in our culture, we give the eldest daughter first in marriage and has this excuse. And, and he says, I'll tell you what, you know, he strikes another deal with Jacob. Work for another seven years and I'll give you my daughter, Rachel. And so he gives him Rachel, but Jacob owes him another seven years. Now he's got two wives who are competitive with each other. His family life stunk. Just was terrible. They end up competing with him to get pregnant by him. They end up giving him their maids to sleep with. It's just like, it's like the worst soap opera you've ever seen. And Jacob has to navigate that and struggle through it. And it's just, it's just crazy. <laughs> Laban gyps him of his wages. Eventually, Jacob figures out how to multiply his little flock of goats, even though Laban is trying to steal from it. And we won't go into all of those details. But Jacob is up against a guy, his uncle, who is as shrewd and devious as he is, is the story. right? Eventually, things sour so badly that Jacob thinks it's time to go home, and that's where this story starts. He has prospered. In fact, through it all, his flocks have grown, and he has 11 sons and at least one daughter that we know of. His family has grown. His tent has grown, metaphorically speaking. He's a truly wealthy man in spite of everything. He has figured out how to overcome all the cheating, all the injustices that he has faced. He was the younger son, but he figured out how to get the older son's blessing. Might have been a little devious, but he figured it out. And God's like, I can work with that. You know, not perfect, but I can work with that. He has this big brouhaha with Laban that goes on for years and years and years. He's been gone about 20 years at this point. And God figures out a way to bless him through all of the struggle. And then finally on the last night when all the struggle is over and he's about to enter his family's territory again, finally, trusting that the Lord is going to be with him, the Lord decides that he will be with him. <laughs> and I just imagine him sitting at the campfire and then he gets tackled. <laughs> right? No introductions. No conversation. And they just wrestle epically. Have, have you ever, anybody been in any combat sports? You ever done wrestling or boxing or martial arts? It's exhausting. And to do it all night long, I mean, they must have just been, you know, barely able to stand at that point. And then finally, this fellow, who we, who we learn is God himself, says, yeah, let me go. It's morning, I'm done. <laughs> I'm, I'm out of here. And then they have this interaction. Uh, the obvious question is, why? Right? When you read a Bible story, if you want to understand it, the thing you ask yourself is, yeah, come on, Blue Waters, what bothers me about this passage? What bothers me about this passage? This bothers me, right? Because does God want to bless him or not? Why would God show up to beat the snot out of Jacob? Why? It was an all-night wrestling match. This was not a subtle thing. This is not a metaphor. 
right? This is as face-to-face -face as it gets, mano a mano. What's going on here? You know, a couple moderating characteristics that you might identify is that God shows up in a form that can be beaten. He shows up as a man, you know, not like the pillar of fire or something like that, right? So he's given Jacob a shot. It's like God wants the fight, right? He's trying to provoke a fight out of Jacob, and Jacob gives it to him, gives it to him, you know? In the struggle, I think some, some realizations happen, you know, for Jacob. Is what is his motivation to fight? He's like, bless me. I don't, I don't know if Jacob's starting to realize that this might be God or a messenger from God or if he thinks that this is a guardian of Esau's lands and, and, you know, I want him to say it's okay for me to be at home. I want him to say it's okay for me to be a rich man. I want him to say it's okay uh, for me to be the blessed child rather than the poor, rejected child. You know, that might have been part of it. But Jacob's motivation is he wants to be blessed because when the, you know, when, when he won't let go, that's what he says to God. He says, you know, bless me. Bless me. He's fighting for a blessing. What's God's motivation? Well, I think it's more implicit in the story, but you get it at the end when God changes Jacob's name which is to say he changes Jacob's identity. He changes Jacob's story. He changes his name from Jacob, which means literally deceiver or swindler, clever guy, to Israel. Struggles with God. You've been thinking of yourself as a guy who gets by on your wit and your hard work and your discipline, but you are able to fight with God himself. Now, that might twist your theology, but think about that for a second. Because if you are a person who's willing to take the fight to God himself, even if God is against you, go with me a moment. If you're a person to take the fight to God, even when you feel like God himself is opposing you, You are a person who has eliminated all excuse in your life. If even God's opposition is not a good excuse in your books, if even that won't stop you, what's going to stop you? What's going to defeat your attitude if you're that person? What's going to defeat your faith attitude? Right? I know it doesn't look like submission, dependence on God in this story, but it sure looks like faith to me. It sure looks like tri-attitude to me. It sure looks like that fighting faith to me. You know what I'm saying? And God's like, I love it. That is who you are. That is who you are. That even if I say no, you will say respectfully, yes. And God's like, that man will become a nation. And I will call you Israel, and the whole nation will be called after you. And now we're the spiritual Israel. We're the fighting faithers of, of history. Do you like that story? Weird story. Weird story. How many of you have ever felt that God himself is against you? How many of you feel like God himself has assigned you an identity among the poor? 
How many of you feel like God himself has assigned you an identity among the small and insignificant? How many of you feel like you've just been born into second rate? That you're third rate? And that righteousness means accepting it peacefully. Does that describe anyone here? Because there is not a hint in scripture that that's okay for you. And when God created a people, he called them fights with God. Right? What does it mean to overcome God? Well, it doesn't mean to rebel against God, does it? But it means to overwhelm God himself with your faith. You know, such that even God is like, I relent. You're awesome. Have a blessing. Let's go change the earth. You following? Great story. I mean, humility is humility, right? We always want to be humble before the Lord because even if he appears in defeatable form, he can dislocate your joints at a snap, (laughs) right? Just as a reminder, if you fight with God, you will walk with a limp, right? But it's only there to remind you who you fought with. It's only there to remind you that you've overcome, right? Every fight has a cost, and that's okay, right? It's okay, because that kind of sacrifice gets rewarded, you know? Sonia reminded me uh, this week, sometimes God gives you a blessing as a gift. Sometimes God gives you a blessing as a reward. A little bit different, yeah? You want to be rewarded? Fight for it. Fight for it. I like the story. God says, does it seem like I'm against you? Then fight me. Fight me for it. Uh, Keep reverence for me, because I can kick your butt whenever I want. But don't let me defeat you. Don't let me defeat you. Wrestle with me all night if you need, against every circumstance, against all the betrayals, against all the fate that seems to be arrayed against you. Challenge me for the sake of blessing. You know. Now the greatest blessing is to be the sort of person that blesses others. Right? The greatest blessing is to be the sort of person that can build a house for Jesus. You know, we don't want to be rich in things that have no value. Right? We want to be rich in things that have value. We want to be great in in, in things that are eternal. Sure. You know, but it all rolls together. Uh, What story are you telling you about you? And would you be willing to fight even God to have a better story? Because I think he's willing to get into the ring with you. That's his humility. I think he's willing to show up in a way that can be defeated by you. That's his humility. Are you following? I think he'd be willing to show up in a, in, in, in a form that, shoot, if we wanted to, we could slap him on a cross, strip him naked, and kill him. That's his humility. He's willing to be wrestled because he's, he's pretty secure. And he wants you to be great and would do almost anything to get you there. Yeah. So do you want to be greatly blessed? He wants to be great. Father God, I pray 
that the Holy Spirit, whom John praises, would be upon us this morning. The Holy Spirit who can change circumstances, who can change lives, and who can change the world, would be upon us this morning. Would be in this place. And sometimes the Holy Spirit is in this place to just give you a free gift of healing. And sometimes the Holy Spirit is in this place to pick a fight with you and to ask if you're willing to push back and to get in a match with him where you decide to be relentless in your pursuit of greatness, as Jesus defined it. Why is the Holy Spirit here for you today? Is he here to pick a fight with you? And are you willing to fight back? Are you willing to push through? What would stop you? What excuse? What identity? Speak, Lord. But he might speak provocatively. You are a lot of things, uh, brothers and sisters but you are not wimps. You are not wimps. And you are not defeated. You are not second rate, and you are not without influence. You are not made to be insignificant. You are not made to accept garbage. Take responsibility and push back. And the Lord will meet you there. The Lord will meet you in that struggle. The Lord will show him, show you his face. You will understand him better. In Jesus' name, amen.